0: This is the Austin Life Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. We're going in John chapter 3. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, the verses will be on the screen. There's also Bibles in the back always, uh, and you are more than welcome to grab one to keep it if you don't own one. Uh, if you have a friend or a roommate or a stranger that doesn't have one, give it away. Uh, we just want people to to have the Bible. Uh, so my my name is Corey. There are several people that I haven't met before. Uh, one of the pastors here. We we moved here a couple of years ago and really started Austin life. It's a little over a year now is what the the full expression of the church. Um, so we had our first Sunday service last September, uh, and so we're we're still very young in this whole church thing uh, and figuring things out together, and so. Uh, glad, that, glad that you're here. Um, if you've never filled out a Connect card, let me go ahead and pitch this to you. I- I'd love for you to fill that out. In part, um, I want to hear from your perspective. Like I just want to see and, and, and know what you see as you come in and um, you bring a perspective that, that I don't bring anymore and I'd love to hear and to learn from you. And so uh, there's Connect cards at the table outside there. Um, and, and then if you, if you want to connect further, obviously we want to talk more about that as well. Um, but I, I just feel like there's a great, a great benefit we can have in that conversation. Uh, and so if you've never filled one out, or even if you just have input, or want to find something I said last Sunday. Um, so I said in, in the sermon last week, uh, the only way to God is through humility. And, and, and I wrestled with that. It, it, you know, it came from this book, Humility, by Andrew Murray that we've been reading. Um, and I wrestled with that phrase, and so did others. And people brought it to my attention, and I appreciate that. Like You're more than welcome to always bring something up and say, hey, I don't get that. What did that mean? This doesn't make sense. And so one girl said that she wrestled with it because she expected me to say the only way to God is through Jesus, which is 100% true. So let me clarify and make sure, let me rephrase it, right? So the only way to God is through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus, right? It's not going to be my own humility, my own morals, my own decision, my own efforts. Like that's not going to get me to God only Jesus in his perfection and faith in Jesus alone gets me to the Father. But the only way I turn to Jesus is in humility. right? The only way that I let go of myself, deny myself, and follow him it is in humility. And so the only way you know, to the Father is through Jesus. The only way to Jesus is through humility. And so the way I'd rather say it is the only way to God is in humility. Right? It's only in humility through Jesus that we're going to have a relationship with God. Otherwise, I'm trying to hold tightly to myself in my own way, and, and I can't hold tightly to God and myself at the same time. There's only one God. There's only one at the top, and it's either, it's either God or, or it's me or something else. right? And so humility is essential in order to, to lift God up. I've got to let go of myself and so that's the way i would probably reframe it is the only way to God is through jesus but the only way we're turning to jesus is in humility and so we have to put humility on in order to to by faith trust christ and have a relationship with god so i just wanted to to clarify that um and and make sure that that we're on the same page there um another thing i'd love to say just before uh really jump into this is i've been struggling uh this morning in particular with this this passage and so um, I just want to say up front, like, I, I don't have it all together. And I know that's been, like, shocking. Um, I, I don't. And, and I just, like, I think sometimes there's this perception. Um, and, and even in my own self, I have this coach. Like, this is now off a tangent. I have this coach that's like, hey, you 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 feel this, but you think people expect this of you. And you're like, yeah, you got to stop that. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. So um, learning to not, like, try to live for what other people expect or assume. And that's tough, right? Um, and so... One of the things that I think I feel is I've got to have it more together than I do, um, and I just don't. And so, like, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to this passage, and I'm like, okay, I know what the Bible says, and it is a struggle for me right now. Like, it's just hard. Uh, and so I'm just going to own that up front. Um, I, I know what, I, I understand what God is saying here, and it's also just difficult for me to live out. And so um, I hope that in owning that, it's okay for you to feel the freedom to say, hey, me too. Um, I, I know a lot of times what God says, and, and sometimes, uh, or maybe a lot of times, I just struggle to do it. Uh, I, that, that's sanctification, and that's life, and, and it's okay to not be okay. Let's just not stay there, okay? Uh, let's just together be honest with ourselves and th- with one another, and let's, let's move forward together. It's only when we're actually honest that we can move forward. As long as we're just kind of kidding ourselves, we're not going to move forward. We're just going to stay stuck. And so let's be honest and let's let God do that work in us and then we'll actually move forward uh, together. S- sound like a plan? Can we do that? Cool, awesome, lovely. Let's pray. God, um, like that song said, we need you. We, we need you because you are the only, the only one, the only thing great enough and, and worthy enough to displace myself. God, you, you, you alone are, are beautiful enough and, um, and compelling enough to, for me to, to move myself aside in place of, of you because you're better. And so I, I need more of you, God. I just admit I need you. Um, I need you to fill my mind and my heart. Um, I need you to transform me uh, for your glory, uh, God, and, and for the good of others around me and i think we're all kind of in the same boat god we need you we need you there's too much of ourself and we need less of that and more of you and so would you open our eyes today father to see more of you god would you do a work in us today that you did in isaiah wh- where he caught a glimpse of your holiness and he was wrecked and his life was never the same that's that's what we want that's what we want we don't want we don't want a religious action we want an engagement with you god we want to counter you a living active present god so we ask for more of you in christ we pray amen have you ever tried um have you ever tried to do something that fundamentally will not work like like if you ever so the other day i was in you know the domain the nespresso shop it's like right across the street from madewell area um i'm really familiar with madewell um, but the Nespresso place, it's this coffee joint. So I, I asked them if I could go to the bathroom, and they're like, sure, it's in the back. So I walk up, and it's got like the handle on it. And so I'm just like sitting there pulling on this thing, and I'm like, hey, I think it's locked. And they're like, no, 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 it's open. And I'm like, I'm, I'm just pulling on the handle. And I'm like, no, no, it's locked. And then I like, know no, it's open. And I'm pulling, the, it's a push. And I was like, oh, cool. Push the door open, right? And it just goes wide open. I'm like, why is there a handle like that, right? It, it shouldn't have a handle. But, you know, have you ever just tried something where you're like, you're, you're trying to pull a door that's a push? It's not going to work. Right, or you're trying to loosen a screw by turning it to the right. Um, if you've never learned the phrase "righty tighty, lefty loosey," today is your day where you learn something new. To to loosen a screw, you turn it to the left. To tighten it, you turn it to the right. Right, that that's the only way it works. You you can't do it um, another way. Or, or I don't know, like just those times where I think like you, you're trying to in life you're trying to put a a square peg into a round hole, right? Like, and it's just not going to work. No matter what you try, th- there's laws of this world that say, no, no, you cannot do that. And when we try to do things, when we try to step outside of our lane and be who we're not, when we try to, you know, put on things that we're not like, it's, it's like banging your head against the wall. Like you just know you're trying your best and you're just hitting the wall, right? And you're not going to break through because it's, it's a push, not a pull door, right? Like, you know that feeling of frustration and discouragement, anybody else? Like you're just trying your best and you're like, okay, I'm just spinning my wheels and going nowhere. Such a discouraging and defeating feeling um, to put everything out there and then be like, well, and here we are, same place. Um, And I think so often we we want to know Christ more. Like I, I genuinely believe if you're here, there's some type of inclination. You're like, yeah, I'd like to know God more. You know, I, I'd like to explore this more. There's this God that, that maybe you know of, or maybe you personally know, but you're like, there's more, and, and I want more of it. And, and does anyone else just ever feel like you're spinning your wheels in faith, and you're trying to know God more, and then you look back, and you're like, I haven't moved anywhere. I might be further back than where I started, right? Like, you're just, you just feel like you're hitting a wall. And, and more often than not, no, 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 not more often than not, every time it's not. It's not God to blame, right? Like He's not holding Himself back from us. He's not like, hey, 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 yeah, I'm, let me, let me tease you. Let me, let me put it out in front, but you can't ever actually grab hold of me. You can't actually know me more. It's the, the problem is, is ourselves is that, that we get in our own way. Our selfish ambition, our selfish motivations, self becomes the higher priority than God, and, and that, it, that's called pride, and that's what holds us back. It is impossible to know God more, to honor God while being prideful. Like it is absolutely, fundamentally impossible because it is contradictory to the very essence of who God is. He is humility, he is God, and so if we're sitting there holding tightly to self, we're contending for the supreme seat with God. And I know that we wouldn't say that, like, hey, God, I'm going to contend with this for you. But if we're holding tightly to self rather than to God, we are telling God, hey, I'm going to, let me, let me go ahead and step up here, at least equal with you. Like, we can share a seat next to each other, right? We cannot know God more while walking in pride. It is fundamentally impossible. It, 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 is, it is pushing on a door that's a pull, Right? As long as we are holding tightly to self, we are not holding tightly to God. As long as we are living for self, we are not living for Christ. To live for Christ is to deny self, take up my cross, lay everything about myself down and follow him. To live for Christ is it is his way over my way. And what's going to happen when we're trying to hold tightly to self, and we all know this, we all know it, right? When we're trying to hold tightly to our own way, frustration discouragement disappointment we just feel like our wheels are spinning and we're not moving anywhere i I know i'm not alone in that and the the source of it is ourselves is pride is that we are trying to hold tightly to ourselves paul he says the secret of contentment is is lifting up god is is finding our strength in him is that whether i've got a lot or a little whether i'm hungry or i've got food or if i have money or if i have not the secret of contentment Is that my focus is on him it's not on me regardless of circumstances humility is the disappearing of self that God may be all in you and through you to others and it's in humility that we're going to know God and honor God most it's in humility that we're going to to find that joy and satisfaction that I believe we genuinely want is in the disappearing of self, where self moves off stage and God is left in the center. Where where, where it's no longer about us, where it's no longer our best interest, but it's God's best interest. That is what humility is, and that is where we're going to know God more, and we're going to honor Him, and we're going to walk in joy, is in humility. John, uh, John the Baptist, he got this perhaps more, more than any. Um, and so uh, John chapter 3 is where we see a little bit more about John the Baptist. I, I don't understand why there's like John the Baptist. That's just too long. Um, so I'm just going to call him John. Sometimes I call him JTB. Um, so if you hear JTB, that's what it means. It's John the Baptist. Um, but that's just too many words and too many syllables. And so we're just going to shorten that up to John because um, it's a lot quicker. And so uh, John, man, he got that. And he got it perhaps more, more than others. And so I just want to read this, and then we're going to talk about it for a bit, okay? John chapter 3, verse 22 is where we're going to start. It says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized. For John had not yet been put in prison. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is the word of God. It is true and it is right and it is for our growth in knowing him and in following him in obedience. So what is going on here, right? So we've got, you see in the first couple of verses, 22 and uh, 23, 24 as well, we've got two ministries taking place. You've got got Jesus and his disciples who are doing ministry, and you've got John and his disciples who are also doing ministry, and both ministries are growing. Both are doing well, and it's evidenced by the fact that people were coming and being baptized. So baptism is a public demonstration of surrender and faith to God alone. So when someone would come and be baptized by John, he would dip them into um, a body of water, most likely a river. And that was a picture of faith in God that their sins were being forgiven and that they'd be raised out of the water to walk as a new person forgiven of sins. And so when someone was coming to John or when someone was coming to Jesus and his disciples to be baptized, it was a picture, it was a public demonstration that they had surrendered their life to God in faith and they trusted that in God their sins were forgiven and they were made new to walk as a new person in faith. And and so both of their ministries are growing here because people are coming to be baptized, trusting God in faith. But there's two key differences that we know um, in this context. The one is that Jesus' ministry had barely begun at this point, wh- while John's had been going on for a while. So we, if, if, you, if you were just to skim back and look in John or in other parts of the, the different Gospels, you'd see that Jesus' ministry had, had really just taken off. So up to this point in John chapter 3, uh, Jesus had called a few disciples. He didn't have all of his disciples yet, just a few. He'd called a few disciples, he had turned some water into wine at a wedding, and he had had some interactions with religious leaders in the area. Um, And so he was really getting started. Uh, I wanted to just take a second, and this is kind of um, a side note to to this sermon, but um, the water to wine I was really encouraged by this week. Uh, And so just a brief context, we won't spend a lot of time here. Jesus gets invited to a wedding. And, and the, the, a problem arises in the wedding in that they've run out of wine, which was culturally just an, an embarrassment to the host of the party, right? It's just to run out of, of food or out of wine. Like, it's something where you're like, oh my gosh, um, it's Stephanie's worst nightmare to run out of food, right? Like, no host wants to be like, oh, well, sorry, uh, we're out. And so they run out of wine. And so Jesus' mom comes up to him and is like, Jesus, hey, they're out of wine. Uh, and so what Jesus does is he tells some servants, hey, go fill these pitchers up with water. And when they do, he says, no, now take it to the, the host of the party. And they take it, and the host drinks. And the water had been turned into wine. But not only that, the, the host says to, to, the, um, to the bridegroom, he says, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. And so historically, they would bring out the best wine. And that's what they would start with. And as people drank, and maybe their, their, their taste buds became um, a little, a little you know, dulled after that, they would bring out the not-so-great wine anymore, right? Because you're not really tasting it as much anymore at that point. But, but in this case, Jesus, he, he turned water into wine, but not only like wine, the, the best wine. And so here's what I was encouraged by with, with this miracle, is that Jesus introduced his ministry. He started his public ministry with this miracle. And this is the point that he's making, is that when things are surrendered into the hands of Jesus, he transforms them into something entirely new. And not just something into entirely new, but to something that is entirely better. So when that water is surrendered to the hands of Jesus, he transforms it into wine, something incredibly new and incredibly better. And that was my hope. That is the message. That is the hope of the gospel, is that when we surrender our lives to Jesus, he transforms us into something entirely new. And not only new, but better than we can ever imagine. When we surrender our lives to him, we are transformed increasingly better We've not arrived yet. We've not hit our ceiling. We've not maxed out in Christ. There is more to be had until the day that we stand face to face with him. And it's completely perfected. So I don't know what you came in here with. I don't don't know what has been weighing on you. I don't know what is going on in your mind. But the hope of Christ is that when we surrender our lives to him, he transforms us into something new and makes us better. And that tomorrow when we surrender our lives to him, he makes us better than we were today. And a month from now, when our lives are surrendered to him, he continually transforms us and makes us better. That's the hope of the gospel. That is the summary of Jesus' ministry. That is what he came here to do. So Jesus, he's, he's turned the water into wine. He, he's, he's made that known that that is his point, that is his ministry. He's had some interactions. And, and then we get to John chapter 3, right? So his ministry is barely taking off. J- John's, on the other hand... If you look at Mark chapter 1, verse 5, and I think we have the verse, you don't have to turn there. Before this encounter, before Jesus is even baptized by John, it says in Mark chapter 1, verse 5, all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. So before Jesus is even baptized by John, John's ministry has blown up. Right, like everybody is caravanning out to John's church. He's got the first megachurch in the history of Christendom. John is the lead pastor of that. Man, people are coming to him for influence, and they're like, John, tell us what to do, man. We want to follow your lead. Like, And they're just flocking to John. And, and so Jesus is fresh on the scene. He's the up-and-comer, the rookie. John is the veteran whose ministry has just exploded. I mean, people are just f- turning to him. They're caravanning. They're going to, to John But the second difference that we see here in John chapter 3 is that that is past tense. Everybody was going to John, but now John's disciples say, hey, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. That's a huge difference in these two ministries. John's ministry was thriving, flourishing, people were coming to him to know God, Jesus steps on the scene and now everybody is turning their attention to Jesus. Everybody was going to John but now they're going to Jesus. And in verse 26 we get the heart of the disciples of John and I think oftentimes our own hearts. He who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness. I find it funny. They don't even use his name. They know that John and Jesus, they're cousins. Like they are first cousins. And they don't even use his name. He, The one that you baptized, John, the one that you led into ministry, the one that, that you kind of brought onto the scene, the one that you, you mentored and you showed the ropes, the one that came after you, look, he's stepping up now and everybody's leaving and going to him everybody's walking away from our leadership, walking away from our ministry, and they're going to, to Jesus' ministry. They're going over, they're not caravanning to our church anymore, they're driving across town to the other church. We were Our church was thriving, and now it's just declining because everybody's going over to Jesus. And, and what the heart of the disciples of John is, is what about, what about me? Right, like what about us? The spotlight was on us, but now it's over there. I was the, we, were, we were the lead dogs. We were leading the way, and now we're just kind of fading into the background. What, what about, our? we were doing good things, and now it's all the attention is over there. I think it's like we look at, the, we look at them, and we're like, oh, my gosh. Like, how lame. You know, like, how can they... Come on, guys! This is Jesus, and yet I think our heart is oftentimes the same. W- what about what about me? There's this sneaky, subtle, insidious, disgusting thread of pride that so easily is like, "Hey, now, um, whoa, 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 whoa! What, what, what about me?" What about, there's something inside of us that does not like to disappear. There's something inside of us that does not, doesn't like it when we don't get our way. Right? There's something deep inside of us that may, okay, yeah, yeah, Jesus, do your thing, but just don't take away from me. Yes, Jesus, yes and amen, but also, also me, please right i I, surely i'm not the only one here it's sneaky and it's subtle and it's dark i don't think they i don't think they maliciously dislike jesus i don't think they want like i don't think they hated him i just don't think they wanted to lose their influence right They, they like okay fine like shine the spotlight on him but maybe he can just be in a whole nother stage and we can have our own stage with our own spotlight and our own crowds and our own attention and and us right like Like, what about us? Like, I I struggle with this. Because here's the question I ask, right? Here's the question I ask, and y'all can ask it with me. Let's say that God moved in favor in the city of Austin. And people left and right were trusting Jesus. Like, genuinely trusting Christ. Like, I mean, all in, he is real engaging and encountering with God. But let's just say that every other church in Austin blew up except this one. I would struggle with that immensely. Why? I mean, I'd be like, well, what am I doing wrong? Like, this is (laughs) is obviously something that I'm doing wrong. It would be all inward focus at that point. Would I be celebrating that that people are trusting Christ? Yes, sure. Yes, some. But I would also be bemoaning the fact that we're putting all this effort into it, and it just doesn't seem like anything's happening good for us. So I totally get where they're coming from. What if God God is like, hey, I'm going to use you to to make my name great, but you're going to suffer immensely. What if God is like, hey, here's my plan for your life, and it's going to be amazing, but it's completely different than the plan you had dreamt up for your life. What if God is like, hey, I'm going to make, I'm going to make my name great, but it's going to be through your weakness? No one's going to notice or recognize i mean there's just something deep in us that, that struggles with that right there's something deep in us that's just like hey what what about me and yet in this case when when john i mean he had it all And now it's just dwindling and dwindling and dwindling because everybody's going to Jesus and his disciples are like, what's the deal? What's the deal? And, And let's look at the conclusion, verse 30. Here's John's concluding, resolved conviction. He must increase, but I must decrease. Everybody's leaving John to go to Jesus and John is like, yes! Because he's got to increase, and if he's going to increase, if more people are looking to him, that literally means less people are looking to me. If he's getting more attention, that means I'm getting less attention. If he's being lifted up, then by nature, right, that means I'm decreasing and John celebrates he finds his joy in the fact that Jesus is increasing even though he is decreasing that is humility the disappearing of self so that God may be all in us and through us to others that whether people know our names or whether they they hear our stories or they know anything about us if Jesus increases that becomes our joy and our satisfaction and nothing can take that away that is his deep conviction and resolve Can you honestly join him in that statement? Can I honestly join John in saying, I will gladly decrease if it means his increase? To be honest, that's where I struggle. I want him to increase, but I really don't know if I want to decrease at the same time. And yet John's conviction is he must increase, but I must decrease. What was different? All right, like what 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 drove that deep in John that, that he could stand and watch as people left his ministry, as his influence decreased, and he could rejoice in that? Like what drove someone to that place where he was joyful for self to disappear? We look in verse 27, we see first that John knew his position. John said when the, when the disciples came and they were like, hey, what's the deal, what's the deal? John said, hey, hey, look, a person cannot receive even one thing. If you have a Bible and you like like to underline things or mark things, like, that, that's something where you can be like, a person cannot receive even one thing unless what? It is given to him from heaven. John says, hey, fellas, look. None of this is ours. None of it. The ministry we've had, it's not ours. It was given to us. The success we've had, it's not ours. It was given to us. Everything, not, not a single thing that we have ha, has, has been ours. It was, it was given to us. So humility follows the perspective of realizing that nothing is mine to begin with. Everything has been given. Every thing. I mean, can I tell you one of the things that is incredibly frustrating is when um, my kids, I, I, I love you, Molly, um, good looking out, when my kids get, get really clingy and they're like, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. And I'm like, you haven't paid for a single thing, right? Like, like, they'll be like, it's my phone. You can't take it away. I'm like, when was the last time you paid the cell phone bill? When, when was the last? And they'll be like, well, I have an allowance. I'm like, and where did you get your allowance? You know, like, so it's, it's, it's preposterous when, when kids are like, it's mine. I'm like, no, go get a job, make some money, pay for things, then we can talk about what's yours, right? Like, we, we all know that. We can look from the outside in and be like, okay, that's silly. It's not really yours. What, what's also embarrassing, and, and I think every parent has been this, and it's, we've all been there as, I hope, kids, I hope not recently, is you, you go to Christmas or something, and you open up a present, and it's like, oh, sweater, huh, you know, and like we've seen that reaction. We're like, no, no, you say thank you. Like you show gratitude that someone gave you a gift. Like we see from the outside looking in how childish and immature it is when someone gives a gift and our response is like, oh, cool, thanks. Like, like we see that, that it's immature and childish, and, and yet, yet John's like, hey, 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 God has given you everything, and you're going to be like, hey, that's mine. You're going to whine and complain about it? That God has given us everything? Like what? We can so easily see it when we're looking at kids, and yet, yet when we realize that that's our heart so often before God, like, hey, I'm entitled to that. That's, that's mine. I'm going to resent that you gave someone else another gift because I don't like the gift you gave me. Hitting a little close to home at this point. And John's like, we don't have anything, nothing that hasn't been given to us from God. So maybe you're like, I got a great job. I get a paycheck. Like, I'm paying for things myself. Who gave you the mental faculties to be able to interview for that job? Right? Who gave you the hands that actually have motor skills that can, that can play a guitar? Or, or can, can type on a keyboard? Right? Who, who allowed you to be born in the United States of America or, or live in the U.S. in, in the year 2019? Like, none of us, before we were born, like, pulled out this menu, like, hey, God, I will take, you know, motor skills, thank you, I will take uh, mental faculties that can retain information, and then can have a conversation back, so that I can get a job one day, I, I will take the ability to go to a college, like, none of us bargained with God for that, none of us like, okay, you can have that, and I'll take this, and and yes, and thank you, and thank you for my friends, and thank you for my family, and I got to eat that one time, like, like, Everything we have is a gift from God. The clothes that you are wearing right this moment, you did not they're not yours. They're not mine. Everything has been a gift from God. The, the donuts that we ate, I mean, like we can trace everything back. The chairs that we sit in, the, the air conditioner or heater that is, like everything, none of it is ours. None of it, none of it, none of it. And yet we... we're so quick to be like, hey, me, mine, yes, please. Oh, I don't like this gift. This was supposed to be my story. John had the right perspective that there is nothing that he has that wasn't given by God, nothing. And so can I encourage myself because, man, I have been a grump can I encourage myself and everybody else, let's make the practice and habit of every day thanking God for the gifts that he's given us. Every day. Let's learn to not be grumblers and complainers of the gifts that God has given us. We don't have a single thing that we can't trace back to the fact that God gave it to us. John understood that. He he understood that. The second thing that John knew is his role. He knew his role in this story. So uh, we see here in verse um, 28 through 29, right? You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ. I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. John knew that he was living in a story, but he was not the main character of the story. Like John knew his, his role, that, that he was given a role to play out, and he was not the lead. And neither are we. Th- this world does not exist for us. We are not at the center, and everything revolves around us. John knew his role. Multiple times in the Bible, Jesus is, is called the groom and the church is called the bride. And so John knows that the, the story is for the groom and the bride to marry and to be one. And he knew his role as a groomsman. You ever been to a wedding? I'm guessing most everybody here has been to a wedding at some point, right? And there's different, there's different roles in weddings, you know, you, you, may be, you may be a, a ring bearer or a flower girl, or you may be ushing, or you may be like cutting cake, or you may be a groomsman or a bridesmaid. But, but unless you're the bride and groom, whatever your role is, your role is simply to point to the bride and groom. Th- that day is the day for the bride and groom to get married and to become one and for it to be the best day possible. Right, so whatever that role is, your role is to point, center stage, boom, the groom and the bride. That, that's the role. Yesterday we went to Robert and Caroline's wedding up in Dallas, and, and Robert's best man was his brother Carson. And Carson, man, he, he, his role was to make sure that the, the wedding happened and that Robert married his bride. And so he's there, and he's standing off to the side, and he's standing there for Robert, and he pulls out the rings when it's time to get the rings and all those things. But, but you know what Carson never did? When, when Caroline was walking down the aisle, Carson never stepped up and was like, hey, bro, I got this. Look, I'm good. I'll take it from here right, like that would make for an entertaining wedding from like our position, but then we would also think, oh my gosh, what is happening, like this is a disaster, right, Carson, when he gave his speech, he didn't start and be like, hey, let me tell y'all about me, so I've done this really well, and I've got into this school, like no, Carson's speech was about Robert and Caroline, right, because that is the role of, of those who aren't the bride and groom, and is the, absurd as it would be for Carson to step into Robert's place, for Carson to step in and receive Robert's bride, for the attention to be on Carson. It is absolutely absurd when we try to step in front of Jesus so the attention is on us. Like it's absurd that, that we would try to step in front of Jesus and draw the attention of his bride. He's the groom. He's the groom. Our job is to be the best possible groomsmen and bridesmaids there can be where we just stand to the side and we just look center stage at Jesus and his church coming together and everything we do is just to make them great that's our job that's our role it is not to try and step in front of Jesus it is not to seek our increase it's to seek his increase his day his glory That's our purpose, and when we step outside of that role, it's like trying to push a pull door. We're gonna be frustrated. We're gonna be discouraged. We're gonna wonder why why are things not being how they're supposed to be? It's because we're stepping outside of our role. Our role is humility to point to Jesus. John says, right? that the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him who who's off to the side who's focused on Jesus rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice therefore this joy of mine is now complete C- can i can i just say that we as a people we we want to be happy and I think that's, that's okay because I think God made us that way. The problem is we look for joy and happiness in places we're not going to find it. The Bible tells us over and over and over and over and over again, your joy will be complete when you surrender yourself, when you disappear, and you lift him up. That is how we are designed to find the fullness of joy. That's how it's going to happen. And for every time we try to step outside of that role, we're just hitting a wall. Because that's not what we're made for. That's not how we're designed. So John, he, he knew his position, that everything was given from God. He knew his role, that he was to stand to the side and to point to Jesus. And he also knew that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So if we go back to John chapter 1. All right, so we go back to John chapter 1. It, it says one day, the next day, he saw Jesus coming. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold. I love Spurgeon. He says the word behold is a divine highlighter. When you see the word behold, it should like, it's like something's highlighted in your book, right? Like, oh, hold on. Focus. Bring it in. Bring it in here. Behold. Everybody look. Behold. Stop. Stop what you're doing. Behold. Look. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That is what drove John to decrease, because he saw Jesus who first decreased himself in order to increase us, and he knew Jesus would do that, and so he was willing to lay himself down in order to lift Jesus up. Because Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Let me explain that a little bit, because we don't, that's kind of funny terms, right? We don't, to talk about people as lambs very often from the very beginning god had said that the punishment for sin is death sin is is disobeying god it's it's cosmic treason right it's it's trying to take the position of god that's what sin is and the punishment for that is death now we may look to god and be like hey god that seems a bit harsh right but even our own country has that law So even countries in this world have the law that treason results in capital, it's a capital offense. And so the the treason against the the God of this world, it's it's a capital offense, that the punishment is death, but God is rich in mercy and abundant in love, and so he created a way for us to be set free from that punishment. And so starting in the Old Testament, he said, hey, the punishment for sin is death, but a, a spotless lamb can die in your place. And so we see this beautifully in Exodus, right? When, when God was rescuing Israel from Egypt and he had the 10 plagues, the 10th plague was, what the, was that the firstborn of every household would die as a punishment for sin. The wages of sin is death. The fact that God let anybody live to that point was merciful. And so now he's going to execute justice on that sin. And so he says, hey, the firstborn of every household will die. My angel of wrath will come through and will kill the firstborn But if by faith you trust me, then you can kill a spotless lamb, and you can wipe the blood over the doorpost of your house. And when the angel of wrath comes in and he sees that the blood of the lamb covers your house, he will pass over your house so that the wrath of God does not kill those who are sinful. And so we see in Exodus, and it passes on from then that the lamb of God dies in the place of us so that our sins can be placed on the lamb and we don't have to bear the punishment of those sins. The problem with the lamb is that no, no animal can, can fully take on the sins of the world. No animal is enough to, to do. That's why they had to routinely sacrifice a lamb until until the Messiah, the, the coming God made man, the Lamb of God, the perfect Jesus would come and suffer in our place and be the Lamb of God and take on the sins of the world so that our sins can be once and for all forgiven because they're placed on Jesus. Isaiah 53 prophesied of this coming Messiah. He says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. That's the definition of sin. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus was prophesied, he he was told this Messiah was coming that would take on the sins of the world, and that this lamb would be crushed in our place that the weight of our sin, the weight of our debt, the weight of our guilt would be lifted off of us and placed on Jesus and that he would die in our place. And the next day, John sees Jesus walking and he he knows he's sinful. He knows the history of a lamb having to die every year for his sins. And then he sees Jesus and he's taken aback because he knows that's the Lamb of God. That will once and for all take away all his sins and make him right with God. That Jesus willingly let go of what his was his. He decreased himself in order to increase us so that we could be made right. And when John saw Jesus, he knew I will lay my life down for him because he first laid his life down for me. John knew his position, he knew his role, and he knew that Jesus was his savior, the lamb of God. So how do we have this resolved conviction? On good days and on bad days, When, when life is successful and when everybody's leaving? when we're known and when we're forgotten, how do we have this conviction, he's got to increase, I've got to decrease. When, when, when self is running rampant, when all we want to do is protect ourselves, how do, how do we lift him up no matter the cost? John's eyes were fixed on Jesus. He was fixed on Jesus N- notice he didn't tell his disciples hey be more humble he just pointed to Jesus because when we're filled with Jesus the humble humility is our natural overflow when Jesus fills us humility is what follows if we're lacking humility we're lacking Jesus because when we're filled with Jesus, humility falls. We, 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 have to put, we have to put on humility. It's what we're going to talk about next week. We have to put it on. It's an intentional pursuit, but it is a response to the greater pursuit of Jesus. If humility is our end goal, humility has become our idol. If that is the prize, if that is the end goal, then it has become our idol. But if Jesus is our end goal, then humility will naturally follow and grace, and faith, and compassion, and mercy, and love, and peace, and patience, and gentleness. If Jesus is our end goal, if everything is pushed to the side, and our soul focuses on Jesus, our eyes are set on Jesus, he's got to increase, he's got to increase, he's got to increase. Our decrease will naturally follow with joy. Because he's everything in us. He's everything. If we think that today, we're like, okay, let's do it. Humility, I'm in. Like, I'm going to die to myself, and I'm going to move myself aside, and it's all about that, then really all we're thinking about is, is, is ourself at that point, right? But if Jesus is our sole focus, I want to know him and love him and increase him, and I want my life to point to him, I want to fill my life with him, then the natural overflow when Jesus fills us is that self is pushed out, right? If I pour water into a cup, then it's going to fill that cup so that nothing else can be in that cup, right? So if I'm putting Jesus into my life, he's going to push everything else out. And so John's focus is look to Jesus, the humble. And in that, then humility will follow. Humility becomes a response to the greatness of Jesus. We've got to surrender ourselves to him. All of us, all of ourselves, 100% do not hold on to that 5%, don't hold on to that 10%, don't hold, let it go. I mean, the devil's like, no, 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 keep that, keep that, keep that one corner. Hold on to that. Don't surrender it to Jesus. Like, go all out, but hold on to that one little area. That's all he wants you to hold on to. Because that's the point that a year, five years, ten years down the road, he's going to blow up. And Jesus is like, no, no, trust me, lay it all down. I'll fill you, you will have everything you need. I love the old hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Look, I, b- I believe that there's the desire in us to walk in humility, I do. But the only way we're going to do that is when our eyes are turned solely to Jesus. And everything else will slowly fade away. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.